Well, amen. What a privilege it is to uh, be here with you all again this morning. And uh, I just thank every opportunity that I have to be back here on campus, uh, to be able to uh, share the Word of God, but also to just be around you fine folks. And uh, I just uh, want to thank you so very much, Pastor Van, for allowing me this opportunity uh, to be here. Um, I've had the uh, opportunity to talk to a few folks here last couple days in regard to the chaplaincy, um, and I, I praise the Lord for that. Um, I still believe out there, even in a uh, crowd like this, that I know that many of you young men here uh, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're called into the ministry, but uh, maybe some of you are still contemplating, what does that look like, you know? Um, where does God specifically want to use me? And uh, I would just ask that you pray uh, that maybe the chaplaincy would be one of, uh, of those areas that you would specifically pray about. Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our servicemen and women out there in the military, they need uh, godly men who are standing behind the pulpits preaching the truth of the Word of God. I'm convinced more than ever that the power is in the Word. Amen? <clears throat> But we need a messenger. We need a messenger to send forth that word and to speak those words of truth. The, the power is in the truth, but how shall they hear unless one be sent? And I praise the Lord for that, but pray about that. But even from the standpoint of some of you say, well, I know that God's called me to be a, a pastor, an assistant pastor, maybe uh, going back to your own hometown where you've uh, come from. Maybe you would consider and say, hey, but I sure would like to reach out to that local police department or fire department or, or whatever in that area <clears throat> so that <clears throat> you're able to go to those folks and say, hey, you know, fire chief, do you have a chaplain on staff? And you might find out that they say, no, we don't, but we sure would like one. Where would we get something like that? And that's when you say, here am I, take me, you know, <clears throat> and you share with them how that that's possible. And if and if we can help in any way as the FBF to help make that a reality, uh, not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake, uh, then please let us know. I left some literature with the front office back there. Uh, folks know how to get in touch with me. It's easy. But if, uh, if you have any questions whatsoever, please uh, let me know. If you say, hey, <clears throat> I would like to, I'd like to find out more, you can also go to the website, which is just simple. It's FBFI fbfi.org and you can actually look at the chaplain icon the chaplain drop down and you can see all the information about the chaplaincy and uh, and from that standpoint but again if you have any questions let me know would you turn your bibles to philippians chapter 2 this morning philippians chapter 2 <clears throat> really struggling even in what I'm about to share with you this morning, but the Lord made it very clear as I was praying <clears throat> that I think it would be interesting if we would take a few moments to look at what the Lord shares with us as it pertains to the mind of Christ <clears throat> for just a few moments. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, very familiar passage, but Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church of Philippi, shares with them, he says, let this mind or this action and attitude, all of that's encompassed here in this thought, 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon the form of a servant, and went made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Father, I just pray that you take these few moments here that we have together to help us to understand what it is when we talk about having the mind of Christ. And Lord, my prayer is that we would go out of here challenged with the thought of, Lord, help that mind be in me as well. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it me? Or is it safe to say that our world's in turmoil? And even our own country, it seems like, is in complete chaos. The more and more I travel, as I'm out and about, and believe me, I travel a lot, I tend to run into a lot of people who, if you were to just describe them, you would say that they just seem to be angry, rude, just plain selfish. I was just sharing the other day with a church up in Hartford that I think that Judges, the last verse there, has really become true in our own country. That how that every man tends to want to do that which is right in his own eyes. Isn't that true? Every man tends to want to be that man of Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep who have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. That's what it looks like outside on a regular basis. sad to say, why do you think that that is? I've, I've, I've thought about that. I'm sure that pastors, theologians have contemplated this, but I come to the conclusion that it's simply the result of what happens in our lives when we live without Christ. That's it. The truth of the matter is that before I was saved, I was the exact same way. Truth is, so were you. But the sad thing is when we as believers still continue to act that way. Isn't that sad? But do we not see it in some of our own churches and places of worship? So you have to come to the conclusion and you say, so what's the answer? What is the answer? And listen, I'm not trying to give you some little quick cliche, some, some flippant little statement, something that sounds real cheeky. I like that word, don't you? Cheeky. <laughs> sounds like something out of Mary Poppins. Cheeky. <laughs> but you know, the truth is this. Here it is. Jesus is the answer. You know, I, I've seen bumper stickers on folks. Maybe they don't live like it. But the truth is, is that the truth or not? Jesus is the answer to our lives when it comes to how we should live. But I got to tell you, it only works in my life personally 
if I allow him to be the answer of my life personally. What do you mean, Brother Willis? Well, let's just say for a second that you had an illness today or some disease. And you as an individual, you went to the doctor. And the doctor says to you, oh, I've seen this disease before. I've seen this sickness. And he prescribes to you a medication. And he says, here it is. Take this four times a day. And I'm sure just within the next couple days, you'll be feeling better. And you're going to be healed because of this medication. And you say, I'm not taking that. You know, you can even stand over here and say, I've got the medication. I'm going to be fine. But wait a second. Unless you personally take this medication, you're not going to get well. And you could possibly die. And then all of a sudden, when I'm standing at your funeral, and I say, why did he die? And the doctor says, I don't know, but I found the whole bottle of medicine on his cabinet, never even opened. How many of you say that's foolish? The truth of the matter is, that's what we're trying to accomplish, not only in our lives, but trying to tell this lost and dying world that Jesus is the answer. And oh, by the way, you have the medicine. You have the cure. You know the truth. And it's our goal and desire is to share that truth with the lost and dying world so that they can come to know Christ, that he can make a difference in their lives so that he can heal them and make them well. Amen? Amen. That's our desire. See, the, the point of this whole thing is this. You know, not only is it true with the medicine, but it's really true with Christ. And if we take Christ into our lives, I can promise you a couple things. He will heal you and save you, and he will change you. Jesus wants to save us. He wants to change us, to be just like him. Listen, listen. Even in the way that I think. True or false? So that's something that I want us to look at this morning real quickly. You know, it's interesting when you come to a person with the truth of the Word of God. We saw the results on Friday night. But I'm just going to tell you, that is the result of much prayer and supplication that preceded anything that ever took place Friday night. I'm convinced of that. But it is interesting that when you come across people who are that ready, it's, I used to, for years, had the opportunity of preaching in the jails when I was assistant pastor down in Lima, Ohio, Blue Lake Bible Church. Pastor Jim Neighbors, I was his assistant for a couple years, preached in the jails every Saturday afternoon. And it was interesting because I came to this point. When a person gets to the point in their life that they're dissatisfied with their sin, their lying, their feeling of hopelessness, their drugs, their alcohol, their immorality, they're ready for help. They're ready for someone to come and to share with them the truth. And then comes Jesus with the help. See, these folks are the individuals who have come to the end of their rope. They've realized the sadness of how they've been living, and they're ready. 
They're ready to take that lifeline of hope and peace and apply it to their own lives. You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know. There could be one sitting right here in this chapel service even this morning. That on the outside, you're looking just fine. Quite frankly, you can talk the talk. You might be even able to walk the walk. But deep down inside, you're hurting. You're struggling. There's some things going on that maybe no one else but besides you and God know what's going on. You're living a facade. Maybe a life of hypocrisy. But folks, I'm going to tell you a simple fact. You can't fool God. And I would tell you if you're sitting here today and you've been fighting that fight, would you stop fighting? Would you stop struggling with God and just give your life to Him and come to that realization that only Jesus can save? And I know that probably 99% of you in here are already of that nature to where you've done that. But I'm convinced that what is the answer? Jesus is the answer. He wants to save us. We know that that's true. But also, not only does he want to save us, I know this about Christ, he wants to change us. He wants every single one of us to be changed. I know that. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 makes it very clear. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How many of you got maybe saved a little older in life? Now, I'm, I understand I'm talking to people that may not even be out of their 20s. I was 22 years of age when I got saved as a lieutenant in the military. I praise the Lord that God reached down and saved my wretched soul. And I tell you, it, it, my life was, it was a mess. But I had made a profession, quote-unquote, at 12 years old. Um, I came from a very, very hyper-Calvinist background. I've shared this maybe with some of you before. But I'm going to tell you, that brand of Cal Calvinism, to that extreme, it's deadly. You know, and it takes away all personal responsibility. And I, I, I just remember this. At 11 years of age, I went forward. I was asked if I wanted to join the church. I joined the church. The pastor asked me that next day, he said, hey, would you, you need to come back next Sunday so that you could get baptized. And so I came back next Sunday and I got baptized. But you know what I got? I got wet. And that's it. But I got to tell you, the deadly thing about that is this. I lived for the next several years thinking that I was okay because I was a church member and because I had been baptized and because I could tell you enough about the Bible to just about be deadly. I even had folks in college ask me questions about the Bible and I would tell them, and here I was living like a heathen. How hypocritical is that? Until all of a sudden a young sergeant invited me to a revival meeting, my first duty station over in Germany, and I came face to face with the truth of the Word of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by His, and by his grace and His grace alone, I got saved. But can I tell you what happened the moment that I got saved? The Holy Spirit moved in. And when the Holy Spirit moved in, it's interesting because if I can put it kind of in the vernacular, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit moved in and went, Woo! 
Look at the trash in this tabernacle. Look at the trash in this life. And the Holy Spirit went to work. Not only throwing out the trash, but rearranging the furniture. You know, it's interesting because, you know what? No one had to tell me it was wrong to smoke. It's almost like instantaneous. It's like something said, stop smoking. (laughs) A foul word came out of my mouth about two days after I got saved at work, and I heard somebody go, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. And I looked behind, like, who said that? The truth is when the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to do a work in you, he begins to change you from the inside, and we would all say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And you know what? When does he stop changing us? The moment that they lay me in the grave. I hope and pray that I'm continuing to change on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. Have you experienced that kind of change? Have you experienced that kind of change in your life? Because the truth of the matter is, if we have not experience that kind of change in our life, then something is wrong. What? Well, I've come to the conclusion it's usually about one of two or three things. Are you ready? If there's not that kind of change going on in your life, then it could be possible that there's some unconfessed sin in your life that is blocking the Holy Spirit, that is, that is squelching the work that He would want to do, that you're grieving the Holy Spirit because of some sin that you have not confessed. Can I tell you? That's a horrible way to live. The Lord makes it very clear to each one of us that we are to not only confess our sins, but to forsake it. And I would tell you, if you're here today and the Lord is all of a sudden pricking your heart of you know deep down inside that there's something that you are still holding on to. I would plead with you, give it over to the Lord. Come to him and say, Lord, I confess this sin before you. And then you go to that parent or you go to that pastor or you go to that authority and you get things right not only with God but with man. And you go and you confess it and you get it. And i got to tell you, there is nothing more liberating than to know that you, there is nothing between you and your Savior. Amen? Usually it's either because of unconfessed sin that there's not that change. <clears throat> it can also be because of a lack of separation to the things of God. Or it might just be simply, you truly don't know Christ as your Savior. Or it's what we would call a lip service or a head knowledge Christianity that you're holding on to, and that's dangerous. Extremely, extremely dangerous. But here's the, for quickness sake, I just want to get back to this passage. I know that he wants to save you. I know that he wants to change you. But here's the most important thing. He wants us to get to the point to where we even think like he thinks. The Lord wants us to get to the point to where we actually even begin to think like Jesus thinks. How do you know that? Because the passage tells us. Here in Philippians chapter 2, he says very clearly here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
And I can go on with the rest of the passage, but I'll hold on with that. I ask people all the time, what is my, what's my purpose or my goal as a born-again believer? And I think it's simply to glorify God. Whether I eat or drink or whatsoever, to do all to the glory of God. But then you start saying, but how do we ever get to that point? And I think it's when we truly begin to even have the mind of Christ in our lives. In other words, that our daily desire should be one of developing the mind of Christ in our lives. Our desire is to, be, uh, to uh, have the understanding of His thinking, His mind, so that we're able to see even as Christ sees. But in order to do that, we must understand a few things even from this passage that he shares with us. I was reading a book not too long ago by Paul Chapel about abide in him. And he said this at the last, so it's not necessarily my thinking, but not necessarily trying to plagiarize, but I thought it was a great thought. And I thought, you know, this is so true even in, in, in my life. And I see this in this passage here of some things that God wants us to see about Christ so that we can understand His thinking so that we can apply it to our lives. What are some things that we see here in this, pas uh, in this passage here about Christ? Look there at the next couple of verses, if you would. In verses 6 and 7. It says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. If there's one thing you see here in this, I want you to see, number one, as far as the mind of Christ, I want you to see his focus. What was his focus? If you read there in verse 6, we get to understand who is Jesus Christ. He is none other then God himself in the form of a man that came here to give his life on the cruel cross of Calvary for each one of us. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is the creator of the entire universe. But he still chose to step out of heaven, to come here, to live amongst us for those 33 years and to die on the cruel cross of Calvary. Why? For our wretched souls. If this tells me anything about Christ, here it is. His focus has never been about himself. His focus has always been on others. If you could epitomize his life, it's always with the aspect of others-centric. Think about that for a second. We were always on his mind. Even though he's God, he chose to take upon himself the form of a man. It shows us his focus, that it's always concerned about others. Let me ask you this, for time's sake, I've got to keep moving but do you spend more time and effort in your daily walk concerned about yourself or concerned about others? If there's one thing that I understand about mankind, 
We are very selfish creatures. We wake up thinking about ourselves. We go through the day many times thinking about ourselves. We go to sleep at night many times thinking about ourselves. And how many people did we pass along the day and give them even one single thought about their soul? Or think about how someone else was hurting, how someone else was grieving, how someone else needed the medicine, the truth of the word of God. Oh, God, help us that we would have the mind of Christ, his focus of others. A Christ-like Christian focuses or thinks on others regardless of his own status or position. I don't care if you're the lowliest private or the highest colonel or general. It's not about me. Did you hear me? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about others. Help us to have the focus of others. Number two, real quick, it's about his, it's about his decision of humility. Look at verse 7 real quickly. But he made himself of no reputation. And you could just stop right there. He just made himself of no reputation. One who could and deserves all, all worship and praise. And we know in verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. But he chose to have a life of humility. Wow. His decision to humble himself so that he could meet the needs of others. If you study the life of Christ for any time period whatsoever, you will see that his life is the epitome of humility. And if I say, Lord, help me to become more like you today, then you have to understand what you're asking is, Lord, help me to empty myself, be dead to self. Lord, help me to be humble today. His decision to take upon him the form of a servant, can I tell you, this goes totally contrary to our society today. Our society knows nothing of servitude or service to others. We live in a society that has this mindset that a day to where I'm either going to go around over whoever to get promoted, to make more money, to have a name for myself, to be seen of men. This is not the mind of Christ. And I hope and pray it's never to be mentioned once any of us in any way, shape, or form. Never. Because the truth of the matter is, a Christ-like Christian decides to humble himself daily and to put others first. When we are doing anything so that we get the acclamation or the applause, we're thinking the wrong way. And I know how easy it is because that's our natural tendency to want to do things, to be pleased of men. But help us to be satisfied, not to be pleased of men, but to be pleased of my heavenly Father. That I may just simply hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful service, servant. May our lives be one to where we would have the mind of Christ, a mind of humility. And then lastly, that we would look to see, that we would also see 
his passion. What was his passion in verse 8? <clears throat> and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. There it is again. And how did he humble himself? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? Oh, I know we can quote John 3.16 and it says it's because of his love. I know we can quote Romans 5.8 and said that God committed his love toward us. But why? What was the motive behind why Christ would become obedient unto death, even death of the cross? I think it's when we understand that that is his very passion. Do you know what the passion of Christ is? That all men would be reconciled unto God the Father. That's his passion. And when I understand that passion, then it's going to cause me to, to, to act in a certain way. You know, because the truth of the matter is, we all have a passion. Every single one of us have a passion about something. The world has all kinds of passions. I mean, I'm amazed that you say something about a, a packer around here and people go, whoa. I mean, just a silly football team. No offense intended. <laughs> but it's a football team! I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan, but they're just a bunch of worthless nuts. <laughs> Put it in reality. We have a passion about football, relationships, hunting, golf. But let me ask you a question. But do you have a passion for souls? Is your passion that when you see somebody walk past them, uh, past you, that you look into that person and you see their soul? What is the most precious thing to God? We know the answer. It's a soul. For what does it profit a man if he gaineth the whole world but yet lose his soul? What is Christ's passion? your soul and their souls, that they would become reconciled unto God. Do we have a passion for the, them today? See, the truth of the matter is, a Christ-like Christian has a passion to see souls to come to know the Savior who has given his life already to serve them. We know that Christ wants to save you. By the grace of God, I hope you've come to that saving grace. We know that Christ wants to change you, and it's a process. It began at a certain point. It will never end until you take your last breath, until the Lord returns, either one, whichever comes first. And we must continue to study and to learn more and more about Christ so that we can continue that changing process but I would want to challenge you this morning, school. Listen, but do you have the mind of Christ? Do you share his mind? And if you share his mind, then you will share his focus. You will share his humility. And you will also share his passion. Is that you today? <coughs> Say, Brother Willis, <clears throat> I'm changing, but I'm not to that point then I would pray that maybe even today, that maybe we would take time to come to the Lord and say, Lord, 
Help me to have that mind in me personally. Help me to have your focus and stop being so selfish. Help me to be humble and stop thinking more about me than other people. Lord, help me to die to self today so that I can be truly used of you. And Lord, help me to have a passion for the souls of men out there today. Help me to never lose that passion. That that would be my heartbeat just as it was your heartbeat. Because my goal and desire today is that I might have the mind of Christ in me. Would that be your desire today? Would, be, would that be what you would ask God to help you to have on a daily basis? To have his, to have his mind. <clears throat> in our church, we sing a song oftentimes that I think that captures this whole thought where it says, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness. <clears throat> Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. When we see Christ, as we're seeing here today in this scripture, then his focus will be our focus. His humility will be our humility. And his passion will be our passion. My prayer is, Lord, help us to have your mind this day. Can we stand, please? With our heads bowed, and our eyes closed, I would just ask that maybe we would be willing to do business with God today. That we would be able to answer that question in our own hearts. Lord, do I truly have the mind of Christ in me this day? Lord, I know that I'm a born-again believer. Lord, I know that you're changing me. But Lord, I know that I also tend to be very selfish, self-centered. But if there's one thing that I really truly desire today, Lord, is I want to have your mind. I want that to be my life. And if you would say that that's true of you today, then maybe you would be willing to just simply do business with God. And here's what I would say, that even as the piano begins to play, after I pray here just a moment, that you would break from your seats and rush here as quickly as you can to bow the knee. If there's a sin between you and God that needs to be confessed, then I would say take the time to do it. If there's a direction that you need to go, then I would say it's time to make that change. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you need to do business with God, I'll leave that between you and him. Father, we thank you so very much for this day in which you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Now, Lord, might you work in a mighty way that your intended purpose might be done here, even amongst these students. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.